Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Today we're talking about getting the Bible right. I'm a pastor and I want to get the Bible right. I know what it feels like when the words of the Bible jump off the page and into your heart in a way that's life-changing. I want other people to experience that. And I've seen the Bible used to hurt people. And I want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And so I want to get the Bible right. So I put a fair amount of energy each week into getting the Bible right. I read the Bible, I read theologians and scholars and historians and philosophers and sociologists and thinkers who are also thinking about the Bible. And I apply my own humble interpretive and language skills. I want to get the Bible right. And perhaps you are someone who wants to get the Bible right as well. What could be wrong with that? Well, last week, we began looking at our doubts related to the Bible, and specifically related to times when the Bible has been used in ways that end up hurting others. And guess what? Behind every time that the Bible has been used to justify excluding someone, or to take from someone, or to hurt or harm someone, every time that people broke fellowship over different readings or interpretations of the Bible, every division, every church split, behind every instance of the Bible being used as a weapon, nearly every time we can find the same desire that is in my heart, and possibly yours too. We find people who want to get the Bible right. So what's going on here? Like, if we all want to get the Bible right, then why do we have 45,000 different denominations of Christian churches in the world right now? All of them claiming, in one way or another, that they are the ones getting the Bible right. That study 45,000 comes from a study in 2019, so it's pretty current. Well, this is the story of Christian history. People read the Bible, they read the Bible, and then they argue about what they think the Bible is saying and what it means, and then they fight with one another, and then they separate from one another because they're getting it right and those other people are getting it wrong. And then they might fight a little more. And then the process repeats itself over and over. And eventually, some groups split so many times that there simply isn't anything left to split. So they collapse, age out, and die. Well, let's rewind the clock and look at how this process has happened just a little bit. So let's back up 500 years or so. Right now, there are 45,000 different Christian church denominations who all think they're getting the Bible right. But 
a little over 500 years ago, so around 1500 AD, there were only a handful of Christian church denominations, like two to four, depending how you're counting. So what happened? Well, let's talk about the distribution of Bibles. So nowadays, there are approximately 93 million Bibles that are distributed every year, but that was not the case approximately 500 years ago. Before the printing press was invented, Bibles were pretty special. They were pretty rare. You couldn't find one in every hotel bedstand. At that time, Bibles were created through a slow, careful process called illuminating, where monks would copy the letters and the words onto parchment, and they'd add all kinds of artwork and calligraphy. And even if you did happen to own one of these super rare, really special Bibles, odds were, unless you had received classical language training in a religious institution, you probably couldn't read it because Bibles were only available in ancient Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So if you happen to be a commoner who spoke, say, German, owning a super rare Bible still wouldn't do you any good. But then along came a guy named Martin Luther. He was pretty good with languages. He translated the Bible from the ancient languages into German. He's known as the father of the Reformation. And along came the invention of the printing press uh, roughly around the same time. And so the Bible went to print in German for the very first time, the language of a lot of people, which meant that within a short span of years, suddenly any person on the street could read the Bible for themselves which was wonderful. And guess what happened? People read it. And they disagreed, and they argued, and they fought, and they separated, and they fought some more, and the process repeated itself over and over. And if you read about what happened in Europe from like 1517, the Reformation, through the next 150 years or so, it is absolutely brutal. Like, when I say they fought, I don't just mean they called one another names and said mean things, although they did. And I don't just mean knock down, drag out brawls. I also mean naming other humans as evil and deserving of death and literally torturing other humans and killing them in awful ways and literally going to war against others. And a lot of the energy behind it Christians killing Christians, it was the energy of they disagree about whether or not they are getting the Bible right or someone else is getting the Bible wrong. Everyone wanted to think that they were the ones getting the Bible right. And suddenly, instead of there being only two or three different Christian denominations to choose from, Christian denominations were popping up right and left. And all of them were just certain that it was crucial to get the Bible right and that they were the ones who really were accomplishing that all-important task. 
And it, this was one of the unintended consequences of what we call the Reformation. Fast forward to today, we have 45,000 different Christian denominations on planet Earth. Uh, Center for Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary did that study recently. So each denomination has something important and distinct to say about the Bible. And the reason that many of them exist has to do with their deep desire to get the Bible right. The vast majority of those 45,000 denominations can trace their beginning to a story about a different group of Christians who they didn't quite agree with, so they separated. They became a distinct group with their own distinct opinions and views and oftentimes a large part of their distinctions had to do with their understanding of getting the Bible right. Now, uh, just a caveat, some groups happen to be quite similar, but they're separated by geography, and so sometimes that happens as well. Let's, let's pause for a moment, though, and let's just run the numbers. So, one out of 45,000. Let's assume it's possible that one of the Christian denominations in this world is in fact getting the Bible right. And all those other denominations who believe something slightly different, they must be in some way getting the Bible slightly wrong. So one out of 45,000, that is 0.002%. So let's try to wrap our heads around that. So let's say that you got on Google and you started Googling churches because you are going to visit a different Christian church uh, of a different denomination every Sunday of the year because you're searching for the church that is actually getting the Bible right because that's important to you. And let's say just for fun that you were not going to find that Christian denomination who is getting the Bible right until the very last church you visit. How many Sundays would it take to find that church denomination that is actually getting the Bible right? How, how many churches would you have to visit? How long would it take? Well, only 865 years. That's right. One out of 45,000 is 0.002%. Each and every Christian denomination on planet Earth has a 0.002% chance that they are the ones actually getting the Bible right, if any of us are. And this includes Neatart's Friends Church as part of Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends Churches. Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends Churches have a 0.002% chance that they are getting the Bible right. So in the words of Lloyd Christmas, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> like, if I only have a point. 0.002% chance of getting something right, I don't usually even try. There's a reason I don't pay money to throw rings at bottles at the Tillamook County Fair. 
and it has to do with a 0.002% chance of getting it right. Like, goodness, there are things that I have a 75% chance of getting right, and I still pass on them. It's I say it's just not worth it. I, I don't know if I'm going to get it right or mess it up. Now, it might sound like I'm picking on Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends churches, so let me be perfectly clear. That's not my point. I would say the same thing if I happened to be serving a church that was part of a completely different Christian denomination. I'm not trying to make a point about Northwest Yearly Meeting getting the Bible right or wrong. I'm looking at a much more zoomed out and historic question. What happens when Christians approach the Bible as if there's one right reading? One way to get the Bible right. The evidence is right in front of our eyes. What happens is we end up with 45,000 different Christian denominations, and we end up with a 0.002% chance that we are getting the Bible right. So what if instead of us getting the answers wrong, what if we've been asking the wrong question? What if the problem isn't just with our inability to get the Bible right? What if our problem isn't our inability to throw the ring over the bottle, so to speak? What if the Bible just isn't set up to be a ring toss game? What if there's an assumption baked into our good and noble desire to get the Bible right, and it's causing a problem? What if God never intended there to be one right reading, one right interpretation of the Bible? What if instead of there being one right reading, one way to get the Bible right, what if the Bible functions more like a doorway to the living God who speaks to a thousand different people in a thousand different ways because God knows what each one needs? What if that's how it is? Now, before we dig deeper into that idea, we probably need to pause and address a very real concern. And it goes something like this. Some people say, okay, but doesn't the Bible itself tell us how important it is to get the Bible right? Well, yes and no. Uh, for instance, there's like the famous 2 Timothy 2.15 passage where the Apostle Paul is mentoring young Timothy, and he tells him, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Or King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, getting the Bible right, getting it correct, sounds pretty important there. Except when you read the Apostle Paul and what was said in the sentence just before this sentence, well, then it sounds a little different. If you're reading what Paul's saying in context, it is warn God's people against quarreling about words. It's of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, consider the difference there between that phrase, 
get it correct, get it right, like 0.002% chance, and the phrase, do your best. Don't quarrel about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen, but do your best. So a discussion question here. Think about various times when someone has used these two phrases with you. Get it right is one of them, and do your best is the other one. Think about various times when someone has used those phrases, and how does each phrase impact your emotions, the joy you find in the process, and your actual outcomes. So this was a discussion question for us. So if you're watching or listening with someone, pause and chat with them. Uh, or if you're just listening by yourself, just take some time and reflect on that question. All right, let's move on. We're going to move on from talking about getting the Bible right to talking about life-changing experiences with the Bible. There are both academic and meditative readings of the Bible, and I love reading the Bible academically. I, I love to study the Bible and to get elbow deep in the Greek New Testament and Bible software and lexicons and reference books. I love the light bulb experiences and the aha moments, and I value deeply all the work involved in doing my best, like we were talking about, to understand what the original authors of the Bible were trying to say. So by saying there's only a 0.002% chance of getting the Bible right, I'm in no way saying I don't think it isn't massively important to do my best. But if you asked me, to describe the times when I encounter my most life-changing experiences with the Bible, the high majority of those experiences are meditative readings of the Bible. And I'll try to describe it. So this is for me. First off, I'm usually feeling pretty vulnerable and somehow ready to bring that vulnerability to God. And I start reading the Bible. And as I read, something happens in my imagination and in my heart. It's somehow in combination. And it's not that I'm just imagining the story from a, like a spectator position, like I'm watching a movie. And it's not just like, oh, the story came to life. That's, that's not exactly what it is. It's more like... I start to see the emotional content of my life somewhere in the middle of what I'm reading. It's like I'm looking at the story and I'm looking at these words and somewhere in the words, somewhere in the story, I start to see my, my own heart pumping and my own flesh and blood. Uh, I find my emotional experience in a word in a character, in a group of characters, in something someone experienced or said or did. And it is rarely an apples-to-apples -apples connection. 
there are usually miles and miles of difference between what I'm going through and what the biblical writers are going through. Whatever I'm reading, though, it somehow becomes a metaphor, an analogy, a paradigm of this human experience I'm living. And on the one hand, this connection that I'm finding with the Bible in this kind of a moment is not the kind of thing that I would want to try to explain to someone else using logic. Uh, for instance, just to give you a very real, true example, this last week, I was deeply relating to Zachariah, John the Baptist's dad. But if I had to explain it to you, well, it was so personal, I don't really want to explain it to you. So there's that. But on the other hand, it's like these words in this story have somehow come to life. And they're pumping with the beat of my own heart and my own hopes and pain and joy and temptations and struggles. So it isn't that the scripture passage is exactly telling me what to do. Because that's not usually what it is. It's more like the Bible temporarily becomes a doorway and it opens up so that I can, it's like it's opening me up almost, so that I can express myself to God in a deeper way, so that I can lean upon God with more trust, set my heart on some new desires, look for God in my situation with some kind of new eyes, see other people in my situation with new eyes, and ultimately somehow face my life differently. Like it, it, it usually ends in some kind of a, there's something I'm going to do different. It's not an academic reading of the Bible. In fact, it isn't anything that I would even call correct. If someone took one of these readings and they said, is that correct? I would not try to exegete this kind of an experience with the Bible because it might not make sense to anybody else. But the kind of experience that I'm describing, these are the kinds of experiences with the Bible that actually breathe life into my heart and fresh air into my lungs. And when I have these kinds of experiences, somehow I feel ready to move forward into life in a new way. So there's my experience. But if we all do this, if we all do this kind of meditative reading, are we playing too fast and loose with the Bible? Like the, the Bible starts to mean a thousand different things. Well, the early church father Gregory of Nyssa, he was known as the father of the fathers, the flower of orthodoxy, the great defender of the Nicene Creed. Uh, this is a guy who was a leader in the early church and he was revered by all of his peers. Like, People weren't talking down about him. And here's what he said. He said, if one does not read scripture in a philosophical fashion, like the way he's about to describe, he says, if you don't do that, one is only reading myths with contradictory narratives. Those who handle the text in too literal a manner have a veil cast over their eyes, whereas those who turn to contemplate the God of whom the scriptures speak, receive the revelation of divine glory, which lies behind the letter of the text. 
That's what Gregory of Nyssa says. And I think this is where we encounter the real crux of the matter. Perhaps this is what the Bible is actually meant to do all along. Lead us to the living God. Open a doorway to the spirit of our creator. Remember, history is littered with millions of people who for centuries were illiterate and didn't own Bibles because they hadn't been printed. But that didn't mean those people didn't have access to the same God that I'm encountering when the Bible becomes a doorway for me. What I'm encountering when I read the Bible meditatively is God, the God who seeks to help the illiterate peasant and the Bible scholar both become who they're created to be, someone of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if the crux of the matter is that too often the Bible has been treated as the foundation of our faith rather than allowing the foundation of our faith to rest upon our God who has come and still comes to us in daily life, in the incarnation of Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, In God we live and move and have our being. Jesus says to the Bible experts of his day, the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. John 5, 39 through 40. What if instead of there being one right reading, one way to get the Bible right. What if God comes to a thousand different people through the Bible in a thousand different ways? Because God knows what each one needs, just like a parent who ultimately has the same heart of love for each and every child, but speaks differently to each and every child because they are unique creations with their own unique skills and strengths and challenges and needs. And so where the parent challenges one child to lean in and take a risk and don't focus so much on the rules and maybe even break the rules, that same parent challenges another child to hold back and use caution and they emphasize good and healthy boundaries. And all of these seemingly different or contradictory messages are spoken out of love. What if the very same Bible that challenges one person to start being a little more cautious with their money and start planning and saving, like being a good steward of what they've been given, is challenging someone else to come off of all their savings and their planning and live a little, spend a little, give generously, stop watching the bottom line, don't let money be your God? What if... God comes to a thousand different people through the Bible in a thousand different ways because God knows what each one needs. Christians bring up proof texts and they quarrel and argue and fight and separate over every imaginable ethical and theological and interpretive debate because they want to get the Bible right. But what if all those words focused on whether or not we're getting the Bible right are actually missing what the Bible's meant to do. Are all those words and quarrels about getting the Bible right 
actually ruining people and of no value, like the Apostle Paul says. And what might happen if we treated the Bible as a doorway to the living God who speaks differently to each and every person, who releases one person to go take risks and live a little because that's what love requires, and pulls another person back and tells them they need some accountability and calls them to consider the needs of others because that's what love requires. The God who challenges us all differently, affirms us all differently, corrects us all differently, teaches us all differently because that's what it looks like to love each unique child. What if God comes to a thousand different people through the Bible in a thousand different ways? So, a final activity. We, we did this uh, in our gathering as a form of storytelling. So if you're listening with someone, you can do this. Otherwise, it's just a reflection question. Can you recall a life-changing experience with the Bible? Uh, tell about the experience. What about your actual life changed? And the real value is he here is if you're listening to others tell their stories, because then you can pay attention to the diversity and the common themes within the stories. Uh, a little asterisk. We're not asking you to think about experiences of changing your ideas, your beliefs, your concepts. We're looking for a life-changing experience, so actually changing what you were doing with your life because of an experience with the Bible. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.